0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, folks? Today on the show, we have a veteran of the SaaS marketing industry. We're joined by Camille Rexton. After moving from Islamabad, he worked in Karachi for two years at PNG and completed an MBA at Waterloo University. He got his start wearing many different hats like growth, demand gen, and ops at early to mid-stage SaaS companies in Montreal and Toronto, including Breather, Presley, Uberflip, and CrowdRiff. And in 2018, he took the entrepreneurial plunge. He went out on his own and started an agency called 42 Agency. Four years later, Camille's agency counts more than five plus full-time team members providing demand gen, marketing ops, and ABM services. He's worked with top brands like ProfitWell, HubDoc, Sprout Social, Knack, and many more scaling B2B SaaS companies. Camille's a father, a founder, a podcaster, a community moderator, the author of the 42 newsletter, a neurodivergent advocate, but most of his time is shamelessly spent on memes <laughs> and hot takes on Twitter. Camille, we're pumped to chat with you today, man. Thanks for taking the time.
1: I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: I've, I've dived into your Twitter feed over the past years, and uh, you know there's a ton of hot takes that I want to dive into today and give you more than uh, 280 characters uh, to dive in on. But <laughs> recently, you actually did an AMA on the B2B marketing community on Twitter, and I pegged you with a bunch of questions and wanted to kind of like start off there and maybe expand on, on some of those.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, for guests that have gone kind of in-house in the agency route, I love asking kind of the pros and cons of, of both of running an agency uh, versus also being in-house uh you're even more fascinating because you've created your own agency uh from scratch and been kind of running it for four years now as i mentioned what would you say is kind of the biggest upside or downside of running an agency versus Uh, being an in-house marketer and what are some of your early learnings from starting your own thing
1: ah super tough question uh downsides is obviously you run your business so it's more than just the delivery work you have to run the business side finance recruiting planning for growth the ups and downs that come with services businesses and obviously like you know you you have clients that are that come in then they go and then you have to do more biz dev and stuff the upside is for me one of my, and I'm going to shamelessly say this, one of my motivations was financial. I had, uh, my son was born and then I sort of always had an itch to start something. I tried in my hand at a bunch of products in the past. None of them really took off. One of them was like an NFC, this is embarrassing to say, talk about, I haven't talked about this in a long time. One one of them was an NFC business card exchange. So I was like, NFC was pretty early. I'm pretty nerdy about tech stuff. So I was like, oh, you know, you can tap your phones and you can exchange contact information without handing out physical business cards. Uh, Went down that road, didn't work out. Apple didn't support NFCs at the time. Uh, There was no standard for NFCs, everybody's running their own standards, so the inter Ability, whatever you call it that was like a challenge there so drop that and then t- tinker around with some other stuff uh eventually realized that I didn't want to start something on my own and there's also a big financial upside to it doing your own business obviously mm-hmm. working in-house you're limited by how much you can make we're running your own business your financial upside is much higher but it comes with risks and you know it's not it's not a stable nine-to-five you have to think about a lot of things about like recruiting, where the business is going, you want to balance demand and supply and all that fun stuff. So it's 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 a, it's, been a, it's been an interesting ride. I started solo. Uh, one of my biggest learnings is hire somebody senior quicker. Mm-hmm. I was a one-man show for a long time. I tried to hire like more junior folks, but I realized like junior folks need a lot more handholding. And I wish I'd invested in like some senior talent early on. And I wish I'd like invested in like a PM early on, Mm -hmm. which we do right now have, but I think those are like the two biggest learnings I have if you were going down that road. But everybody starts like, like I say like I started out as a solo freelancer, consultant, whatever you want to call it, then realized it was much more work than like I was doing everything by myself and I was pretty burned out uh, by year three. And that's when I started hiring a team. And I met Eugene on Twitter, who became my first time, first full-time employee and sort of went from there and now yeah we're a team of like six seven people or something
2: it was a bit more one of my experiences uh when I was either either subcontracting or running my own uh solo business it's it's a little bit of like a shock when you first start your business as a marketer or a creator you think oh great I get to have like you know, oodles of creative freedom and get to do what I want. But then you get into the business, and you know that there's a whole new world. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about like adjusting to being a founder, being the 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 head honcho, the owner, <laughs> and, and, and what was that transition like? And and what lessons would you apply to like what you learned? Uh...
1: Honestly, I I have to give a shout out to my wife Sophia. She's been incredibly supportive. She helps out with a lot of the business. I couldn't do it without her, and I think just uh, like the Hire yourself a good accountant. I went through like three mm. accounting firms before I landed on a good one that I like. There's like, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, but like, accounting firms are like big, big advisors for SM small businesses, like like ours or like any business. And if you have a good accounting firm, that will make a big difference. Obviously, you need a supporting partner, like you know, that stuff. Mm. But they like i knew zero about finance and accounting and i sort of dove into it and i started to understand it more and like the accounting firm that i work with they're pretty great at like explaining things to me and the impact of different things on different like finances like i think you need to learn how to manage your finances understand like fixed costs Mm -hmm. with variable costs versus overhead and how to plan for you know what your opex should be and all that stuff yeah. And I know in my own experience like that
2: first, like, oh, I have to, you're all of a sudden spending way more time on things that you're like, this should be simple. It is for accountants. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And beware of taxes. So, yeah. you know,
1: <laughs> put money away for taxes.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. The government always gets there. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was my big, big shock at first. I incorporated off the get-go. So one of my advice would be if you're going to start something, incorporate right away. Don't start start as a solopreneur because that gives you some flexibility on the taxation stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can write out some expenses that might be a business expense and get a separate bank account and a credit card if you can. I know banking in Canada kind of sucks, but like if you can get like a separate bank account and separate, like keep your personal finances separate from your business finances so you have an accurate picture of like what is the business making, what is my profit on the business and how much can I invest in the business and then pay yourself a salary or dividends or whatever, but like keep it separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Taxes
0: are brutal, man. Like it, 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 seems wild that like the government makes it that complicated for you to start your own business. It's almost like they're like not like promoting the idea that you should do it because of how hard taxes are. Yeah. Like when yeah. I was working, uh, just kind of like as a, a freelancer for clothes, uh, at my last gig, um, I I was like doing a couple of other side, side gigs at the same time, so like I set up the the, the solopreneur and like like you like I went through like a couple of accountants too, and like still today like I I still have like PTSD about like doing <laughs> all the taxes at the end of the year, and it's just like man like being in house is so much easier for just like the taxes portion of it. Like I don't know, man. It's uh, I still get PTSD from my time doing taxes as solopreneur.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's brutal, but like, thankfully, like one of the benefits of Canada is you have we have universal healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was talking to somebody in the US, and they want to start their own business, but like, not having the healthcare for their family is a big blocker to yeah. that. So I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do pay. To, like, I don't want to make this about taxes and politics, but like, we do. <laughs> you know, we get something out of it. Yeah, not like, yeah. The the joke is like in Pakistan, you pay taxes, but it just goes to other people's pockets. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a great point. We're definitely lucky in Canada for for the healthcare piece. Uh, So for the listeners that are kind of, you know, wondering whether they end up in-house or in an agency, if you were kind of like mentoring uh, like a fresh marketing grad or like an entry-level marketer, um, you said in your AMA that you would recommend them to kind of specialize in the technical side of marketing in order to kind of future-proof themselves uh, along their journey. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think the quantitative side of marketing is uh, where... A lot of opportunity is like walk us through uh, your thought process there.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I have a background in engineering. I've always been semi-technical. I was a terrible, terrible programmer, but I, I did that for a couple of years. And I think, and this is not like I think the good marketers are hard to find, period. But I think the technical marketers are harder to find than someone. And I I mean this with all due respect, but you can find a lot of people who do content and copy and whatnot, but not so many people who understand the technical side of like automation systems, JavaScript, SQL, databases, or even like, you know, CRM and Salesforce and whatnot. And I think as we, as as the SaaS stuff has scaled up, there's more and more need for that. And as we work with a lot of companies who don't, who have a lot of marketing tech debt, because they mm-hmm. did not set up systems the right way of the get-go and now they're suffering for it mm. and it's just a hard role to hire for and I think I've been fortunate that I've had exposure to that early on in my career and then I sort of went down that rabbit hole but like it's just super hard to find somebody who's who's really strong at that versus I think the content side or the copy side or the other stuff like that's hard for sure I'm not saying it's easy mm-hmm. But I think there's much more, the barrier to entry for that is much lower than like say a technical side.
2: And I think there's, there's particularly, at least in the span of career, I've noticed that the technical side has become increasingly important, like seen the rise of marketing operations, revenue operations, all these Mm -hmm. engineering functions that become frankly essential to running a marketing, uh, a marketing shop. When we talk about technical marketing, like maybe we can break this down. Like there's, I think there might be a spectrum of people who think I'm a technical marketer. Like to you, does a technical marketer mean you're, you know, you have engineering knowledge, you have a coding language that you use, or is it really understanding these technical products like your Marketos? And
1: I think it's a level of both, but I think if you're too engineering knowledge, I think you need to balance the business outcomes with the technical knowledge. So I think like the, what we do at 42 is sort of bridge the two together. And mm-hmm. like I don't I'm not saying you should know how to code. I know there was a big movement that everybody should learn how to code. I think it's good to know how to code basic stuff and CSS and stuff and understand. But I think a lot of marketers are just afraid of going into the technical side. And I think you mm-hmm. should just be comfortable with it. Like, you know, don't be don't be shy to dive into HubSpot or Salesforce and like your tag managers or your segment and like understand how those things work and how the data is being piped between two systems and what an ETL is and mm-hmm. that stuff. So you don't need to be an expert at it, but I think it just makes you better at your job because then you can talk to the product team and say, Hey, look, we're doing this onboarding flow and we need these uh, events set up on the product side. Here's like, here's, I, I think I have an easy way to do this. We can just implement segment and then I can send it to different destinations. We can implement tag manager. So I don't have to bug you like just this, like even that, I think that that's a big factor.
2: Yeah. I kind of the reverse of you. I, I started in the content and SEO space and have since then become really keenly interested in learning to, I've been doing it for about two and a half years now. So like JavaScript and and React (laughs) and CSS and stuff like that. And I'll say like, in terms of my day job, it has a direct impact, but what it has had is like this impact, as you mentioned, you talk to a product team and you're at eye level with them a little bit more. um, It just makes everything a little bit easier to to have that common frame of reference. And um, certainly when we're talking about marketing in 2022, we got to talk about analytics as well, like analytics and reporting gets fairly technical fairly quickly. Um, what's your take on that?
1: Uh, I don't, so analytics, I think, yes, like I totally agree. That's fairly technical. You need to understand how that works, but my, my beef with analytics is a lot of people don't know what questions to ask. Mm. They'll say, oh, we need analytics. I'm like, oh, like, let's like, I'll jump into attribution. Like, oh, we need attribution. I'm like, okay, but do you need attribution for like, what is the question? What is the main Mm. insight you're looking for? And what is the question you want answered? And it, analytics at some point just becomes about pretty graphs and nobody looks at them. Nobody acts on them. And it's <laughs> just like, mm-hmm. sure, we know this, 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 but like, what are you going to do? Like, and I think that's, that's where I think a lot of the analytics fall short is like they'll, and there's a lot of analytics for the sake of analytics mm-hmm. and not enough of like, what are the key insights we're looking for? But I think Like even look at the recent GA4 thing, right? It's caused so much panic. And I think that's like GA4 is for me, like it's web and app combined. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's not so much session focused. It's more event-based, but like, I don't think like there's been a panic because folks are afraid of it, but I think like you should embrace it. I don't know. That's a sidebar, but yeah.
2: Yeah. It's the idea of sunsetting universal analytics is super scary because we've been using it for you know, most of our careers in, in the GA4 instances, it, again, you mentioned it, it's that base model. How do you see people preparing for these types of, of things? And, you know, as a, as an agency working with uh companies? We,
1: we don't focus on it, but we are talking to a couple of customers about moving them to GA4 and we've done a little bit of GA4 work. Mm-hmm. I've been on the GA4 beta for a couple of years now. So I, I'm really comfortable. Like I really enjoy the GA4 stuff because it's like, to me, it's combining mixed panel and product analytics with your web analytics, and that's like mm-hmm. one of the shortcomings of GA Universal, where it was like very session page view, and if you want to go deeper into the product side, you have to go to a mix panel or a Pendo or an Amplitude. Mm-hmm. And for GA four, it sort of combines those two into a very nice, nice uh, interface. We we do see a lot of people. I mean, lots of people just use GA for just page views and it's much more deeper than that. So like, I think there's like, there's this gap, even when you talk about analytics, something as universal as Google Analytics is not to me, not being from the what I've seen. It's not actually being used to the extent that it could be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, analytics is a fascinating
0: topic. I feel like we we could probably spend a couple hours just uh, diving deep on that. With like how much that world has changed, we we had a full episode with the uh, the guy from uh, Dream Data, Stefan Hederbrand, who's kind of like yeah. on the side of like, yo, multi-touch attribution is the future. We've solved it. We've had we have a tool for it. And then we had Corey Haynes on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, who was just kind of like, yo, like I, I wouldn't focus on attribution if I was you. Like I think it's a lost cause for SaaS and so like I'm I'm curious like maybe a last question on 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 on, yeah. a, on analytics there but like what what should marketers be relying on in in 2022 like in your opinion is it like incremental testing is it statistical models like what is the future I of analytics and tracking
1: or B2B a lot of the statistical models won't work because we don't have the sample sizes for that but I think basic statistical models on like Correlation between ad spend and direct and organic conversions because a lot of the cookies are being blocked, the UTM's aren't being passed through. Like I think BW marker is over index on what the UTM parameters say, but the fact is UTM parameters don't always tell you the full picture. It's like last mm-hmm. touch, whatever. And with Safari and iOS and all that stuff, it's gonna get harder and harder to know actually what what specific channel drove what outcome. So I think you have to look at it more holistically. Like, hey. When we do X, there's a, or we, we turn off our all paid spend. Let's get a baseline. Let's turn on one channel. What's the incremental thing that it brings in over X amount of pay, like three months, six months, whatever that is. We did this experiment with one of our customers where we turned off all ads for two weeks and we, we saw that there was a significant dip in like uh, opportunities and whatnot. They had a shorter sales cycle too. So there's, you know, a significant dip in like inbound traffic, opportunities, MQLs, leads, whatever you want to call it. So there was like a definite correlation there, just like looking at, you know, let's turn it off, see what happens. and um, mm-hmm. When we turn it back on, does it come back to like, is there a significant difference between not having ads and like all the other stuff? So like you can sort of measure it in an incremental basis like that. It's very non-scientific, but I think like for B2B where you only have like, you know, a limited s- sample set, it you can't like really build like ma- machine learning models to do that stuff. That is something we're exploring on our, on our agency side. I just had a data analyst, data scientist type person uh, she's great. She's super smart, so she's gonna be helping us with like one of the questions I asked her is, hey, if we run video ads for a customer and then we run re- run direct response ads, is there a correlation? Is are they are people more likely to convert on the direct response if they see the video ad first? Like, is there anything there? So we're running some experiments on our end like that. I'll, but like, I I don't want to say like you have to rely on big uh, you know marketing mix models because I think those are those can be a little bit of like big data, you know, you need you need enough sample size, but I think you can you can gather some basic insights just by like, you know, doing some incremental testing and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Love it. Um, I, all right, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I, 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 we got a bunch of Twitter takes to, to kind of, dive <laughs> into. I, I actually discovered you like four years ago when I stumbled upon some of your early, uh, like MarTech buyers guide work. Oh yeah, You were building yeah. the wire cutter for SAS. Yeah. I think the first one you did was CMS. Uh, I can't remember yeah. how favorably you talked about WordPress there, but we did <laughs> we to get into that. <laughs> are you, are you going to pick that project back up? Uh, one day, I know you, you teased about it last week.
1: Yes, I am because I look at how, like, and I, I have, like, with a, like, I'll give you an example. Like, wh- the reason I, I'm I'm sort of doing that is, like, I don't think you should, like, when I'm buying software, I don't want to go through, like, hundreds of customer reviews on G2. Mm-hmm. One, two, G2 incentivizes their customer with $20 gift cards to leave reviews. So I think that's just the wrong incentive to leave a review in the first place. And their entire business model is fabricated on, they will buy traffic for the same keywords you're bidding on, and just direct traffic to their site, and then make you pay for that traffic on their end. So, like, they're trying to play that traffic arbitrage game a little bit. And I think, like, at the end of the day, as a as a as a somebody who's trying to buy software for marketing specifically, I just want to know, like, and there's so many groups and so many Twitter threads, like, hey, what do you think about HubSpot as a Or hey, what do you think about ABM tech? Hey, like, what's the best, you know, XYZ I can buy? And I think people just want that one answer. Hey, just like, no, no, nobody got fired for buying IBM kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody, and the reason that it's on hold is I need to find like people with deep domain expertise. So like, if you're listening to this and you're interested in collaborating, shoot me a a note. But like the next thing on my list is landing page builders and comparing like Instapage, Unbounce, whatever have you, all these landing page builders that that are out there. And there's like definite pros and cons to them, but I need... I, I, I'm I so, like, the first one I wrote with a friend of mine, Jessica, and she's she's incredibly busy right now, but I need somebody or myself or somebody on my team to, like, go deep into these platforms and understand the trade-offs, know what they're talking about, and then write write those guides. So, like, it comes mm-hmm. from a, a subject matter expertise point of view, less, like, a regurgitated piece of content marketing. Right. Mm-hmm
0: yeah love that approach like john and i actually talked uh, a few times about like doing something like that on on the podcast but like we we don't have a bunch of time to dedicate to the podcast and like we only do audio like we don't do any video and i feel like you'd need to do like a a visual piece of that right like when you're walking through like the difference between marketo or pardot or customer io or hubspot like people want to see inside the tool right like without having to like jump into a free trial and like figure it out themselves like what's the difference between like creating a lead scoring model in all of those tools and how easy yeah, is yeah, it and yeah, like show yeah. me it right but like yeah. easier said than done on, on a podcast format but uh yeah i'd love to to support you and, and dive in back into that because i think it's a super like valuable asset for folks that are in martech and are just like yeah. yo i don't have like three months to like shop for a landing page tool like it, on my wordpress like can i just use gutenberg to do that or like do i yeah. need to upgrade to like an unbounce mm-hmm. or something like that so i think it's, yeah. it's super powerful
2: yeah
1: or even the two between doing on on your main side versus an on-boss, like what are the trade-offs and like what's mm-hmm. the cost benefit? And like, that's a good point. I think I like the idea of the lead scoring. I might do that myself, like just building out lead scoring and part art versus hub servers and market around just seeing like what the differences are. I might actually, <laughs> that's a good, because like marketing automation itself is such a big topic and there's so many different things to cover. So I think like you just inspired me to like take it a piece at a time versus trying to cover the whole thing all at once. And, you know, it's kind of topical, but I think
2: we just saw the, the latest martech landscape to get released it's now you know beyond epic i think it's like the multiverse of, of MarTech <laughs> schools tools nowadays like it's it's such a challenge to even know what's out there and i think marketers often have this in the back of their head like i'm not using the latest tool like i'm missing out um talk a little bit maybe about how you would approach as a as somebody in-house like auditing tools finding new opportunities to yeah bunch of
1: with a great tool. I think, it, I think instead of starting with tools, you start with the outcomes you want. Like, I think there's too many tools. There's too many tools that don't talk to each other and your data is siloed and that creates additional problems. So I would like, I would say like at its core, if you're a B2B SaaS company, you need a good CRM and you need a good marketing automation. Like that's mm-hmm. what you, the other stuff on top is gravy. You don't, you don't need like, I don't know, whatever. Um, Um, for lead scoring because you can sort of hack your HubSpot or Salesforce to do a lot of that stuff for you. I would argue you don't need predictive lead scoring because it's kind of a black box. So I think it just starts with like, hey, we have this problem. We want to solve this problem. What's the best way to solve this problem? Can our existing tool already support this in some way or do we need to bring something else on? I think like I have a couple of friends who work in uh, RevOps and like a lot of times the demand gen manager or the VP of marketing will be like, oh yeah, I saw this great presentation by this vendor. I want to bring in this tool, but the, the RevOps people are not consulted or the MOPS people are not consulted. And then there's like one additional tool they need to integrate and make sure it works with everything. And then it creates more trouble than it's worth because the the like an example is, um, one, with one of our customers, uh, we 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 tried an intent data vendor, not lead-safe. I'm a fan of those guys. They will kill me if I say anything bad about them. I love to be fun <laughs> but uh, one of the two, like the review sites, they had this intent data product, and they like the CMO, who's our who's our client, he's like, oh, I love this intent data product. Let's he bought it, and then we're like, okay, fine, we have this intent data. Sales team is like, what the fuck am I supposed to sorry? Am I up, yeah. swear? It's yeah, up.
2: yeah, you are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My kids are not around, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it out of that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh and the sales team was like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? This is just a, like like we don't we don't care about this intent. So I'm like, I don't know what this means. And then the data just sat there in a silo and it wasn't mm-hmm. p- being pushed to Salesforce or Power or outreach or anything like that. It was just like nobody was acting on that data. Mm-hmm. And it became a relatively meaningless investment because there was no process in terms of how the business would mm-hmm. use it. And then it just like money wasted. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to like, oh, we have this problem. We have this challenge. How do we solve for this? Versus here's a shiny new tool, like six cents, let's just buy it. And I think a lot yeah. of these new, new next gen tools are like a lot of them are just trying to, I don't want to say this too harshly, but they're not actually solving the core problem. Like they,
2: some of them are just like fluffy stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love your answer there. Yeah, and one of the, the one of the stories that I remember in my past, I remember when I was a consultant, uh, an operations consultant, getting a message from a brand new, you know, VP of marketing. First, first job that she wanted to do was take out the old marketing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like Marketo. I'm gonna put HubSpot in place. Like, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like the UI. Like, uh, this is a bigger job than you think. Switching tech stacks <laughs> just because yeah. you don't like a UI.
1: Yeah, it's pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. every comes in. They want to either do a rebrand or just rip apart the stack and put in their own stack. <laughs> and put yeah. It.
2: Yeah.
0: So I love your approach of focusing on like outcomes and problems because like as as cheap as it is an answer to say that like, oh, you know, like it depends on your company, depends on your customers, depends on like your problems, but like it, it's true. Like every company is different. Everyone has a different tech stack. Like everyone needs to integrate with like different sources of data and every tool like works differently. Yep. And so, yeah, I really like that, that answer there. Like it, going back to the analytics, like thing that we chatted about, like an attribution, like I think a lot of people want to just just like solve all of their attribution problems by just like, buying a tool and like hoping that it solves yeah. everything, right? And yeah. like in yeah. some cases like Dream Data will do that for for some folks and in some cases that's just like seeing your, session attributions but I feel that like with the onset of that and like uh, this is transitioning us into one of your favorite topics on Twitter there, some influencers actually like have denigrated tracking and attribution to the point where uh, like yeah. many recommend just ignoring it and trusting your gut and uh, one of the main culprits of this rise is dark social (laughs) what the fuck is dark social Camille is it just a buzzword for like offline referrals and group chats or slack threads like how much do you hate this term
1: Buzzword, Tara if you're listening to the podcast I love you but (laughs) we're gonna disagree with this Tara Robertson from Chili Piper Uh, she's a good friend we've we've talked about this before but to me it's like dark social is just social media marketing slash word of mouth like that's Mm -hmm. what it is it's it's nothing new. I think the scale has changed with more people joining more private communities. But it's the same thing. I'm talking to you and you're like, hey, well, I have this problem. What agency should I use? And I'm like, oh, use 42 agency because I used them before and blah, blah, blah. And like, is that dot social? Is that word of mouth? Is that referral? I don't like, I think it's the same thing. I think a lot of marketers like to overmarket themselves and split hairs over what does growth marketing mean? I know, Phil, we, we might disagree on this one, but I like, what is growth marketing versus demand gen versus lead gen versus I don't know what have you and I'm just like at the end of the day marketing's job is to create value for the business people Mm -hmm. need to know you exist what you do you and you're generating revenue for the business like that's that's what it comes down to you don't need to over engineer what it is called just do your damn job (laughs) (laughs) it, it does not matter what it is called your job your customers don't care if you call it growth marketing versus like They they don't care. The, Mm -hmm. The CEO doesn't care. It's only like marketers in that bubble of marketing. They like to invent these buzzwords. And they're just like, I always say like everybody tries to sound smart without like, you know, like everybody's trying to like carve out their own territory and be like, here's my little loudspeaker. I'm going to talk about dark social. Here's my little loudspeaker. I'm going to talk about growth hacking. And I'm just like, at the end of the day, it's the same fucking thing. Like, can we just like get real about this and not... Anyway, sorry, bit of a rant there. But I think, like, coming back to Dark Social, I think, like, it's the same social media marketing word of mouth, whatever we have done. I think people just like, like, if, uh, the guys at, uh, not the guys, the folks at uh, Sixth Sense have this term called Dark Funnel. And what the hell is Dark Funnel? Like, what is it? <laughs> like, why do we have to be dark about it? Why? why? <laughs> 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 like, they, it, they make it sound ominous mysterious and, oh, only I have the keys to unlocking this brand new market. I think it goes back to the silver bullets problem marketing has where we think that, oh, this other company has this something figured out that I don't have figured out. Mm-hmm. And the vendors come in and they're like, oh yeah, this other company is leveraging Doc Social and Doc Funnel here, buy my tool and I will allow, buy my service and I'll lock it for you. I'm like, it's the same, it's at the end of the day, like it comes down to fundamentals, right? It's like good product, good market pricing, positioning, messaging, having an engine in place to, you know, all that stuff. Like, sorry, just a sidebar here, but like, there's a lot of conversation about like creating demand and capturing demand. I'm like, you don't create demand. Marketers don't create demand. Are we kidding ourselves? Like the demand is already there. Nobody wakes up and says, I have a demand to buy something. Like there's a problem they need to solve that's pre-existing and you just need to reach the audience at the right time through the right channel, whatever. Like you can, you can add some nuance to that statement, but Like we don't create demand. Who are we kidding? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I I love
2: it. I think with, with like the idea of dark social as well, like you have this, this, you know, for us, we've all grown up digital marketers. So you almost end up spoiled with all this wonderful data that you get from these systems that gives the illusion of a linear path. But like, I don't think I've ever bought a piece of uh, software without talking to somebody who either uses it or I knew like had an experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, They, I might come in through organic on some random blog post and you think this blog post is killer. And meanwhile, it's it's actually my, you know, I'm talking to Camille about, you know, should I use HubSpot or Marketo?
1: Yeah, 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 100%. I will say that sometimes there is a linear correlation. Like I've seen instances where I was at CrowdRiff and a couple of, we closed a customer, pretty big one. And when the salesperson asks them, like, hey, what, what they're like, "Whoa, we just like saw your Facebook ad, we clicked on it. And we're like, this is fantastic. They, and they bought within like 30 days and typically mm-hmm. like three months. So sometimes that does happen. Like I'm not going to yeah. say it never happens, but yes, I agree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, you're, you're in an agency. So I'm curious about your, your take on this or just kind of like a, a, a random question, but the idea of that we can measure everything and attribute everything like We all know that marketing isn't always about the things that you can measure. You're making an emotional connection with people. Buyer has a problem. I have a solution. And there might not be a direct line of correlation between what you're doing. How do you continue to talk to clients and work with them on campaigns or programs that may actually have something that isn't measurable? Like, How do you convince folks that you need to invest in these other areas?
1: Yeah, so like one of my one of my favorite ways to say things is like there's 10, 20, 30 percent of the market who, that knows you exist, but mm-hmm. that 10, 20, 30 percent of the market, you and 10 other competitors are also trying to convince them to buy something. But there's like 80% of the market that doesn't know you exist. Like I'll take 42 agencies as an example. My my main problem right now is getting enough people to know that this is we exist and this is what we do. I don't care if they're us from us right now, but my I have an awareness problem. So like if you, if you flip that to a SaaS product, a lot of problems, a lot of people are either using the status quo or they're already in market, but like there are, there's like, there's certain aspects you can measure. And and I think what you can measure, it's dumb if you don't measure those things, but yes, there's like definitely some stuff that you can't measure. The beauty of marketing is it brings those two together. It's not one or the other. It's not like you should measure everything. You should not measure everything. It's a you measure what you can, you take on faith what you can't. And then you measure over a long enough period of time, you can probably find some patterns on it. So like the way we approach it with our customers is like, we'll, we'll set the expect- expectation of the get-go that, hey, look, we're gonna run these things. We might be doing some top of funnel stuff that has no direct impact to revenue at the moment. But our goal for that is to just let people know that when they are in market for a solution like yours, yours is the one that comes to mind. So we want to build a brand affinity. And I love Vistia's, Vistia has that essay on it that I read a long time ago and that really interests my thinking on this. Like you need to build brand affinity with people, but at the same time, if you just, all you're doing is brand affinity, brand affinity, then you're not activating that. You know, you don't have a sales activation step or direct response step, then you're just like wasting money on it. So I think it needs to be both.
0: Love it. That's a great take.
1: Yeah,
2: it was more of a discussion. I think you did, did get exactly what I want out of that question. Like the, the idea of these investments, right. It's, it's really important that you use, look at marketing from a full picture perspective. Yeah. And as you yeah. mentioned, you got to measure it, uh, but not everything is cleanly measured.
1: Yeah. And like, I think it comes to time horizons, right? Like I was talking to uh, somebody and like, uh, like, Uh, we like to talk about like uh, brand versus demand and I think it's not brand versus demand it's brand and demand Mm -hmm. brand is the longer time horizon you have and the demand is the shorter time horizon you have like Mm -hmm. if your company's goal is short term you would obviously over index on the short term direct response stuff if your company's short term stuff is taken care of you are more you have more ability to focus on the longer term horizon stuff so I think it's like I think we need to like reframe the discussion in like, in terms of time horizons versus this is like, this is bad. This is good.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great segue into like another one of your your hot takes on on Twitter here. A lot of <laughs> a lot of SaaS companies love to take this idea of like time horizon and branding and trying to like flip the notion that like, hey, the marketing team on this SaaS company should actually be a media company, and they're pushing this kind of narrative. And um, I, I know that like this, a lot of influencers kind of proliferate this for for SaaS companies. What? Why do you think this is bullshit?
1: I think the again, like, I don't think, oh man, where do I want to start? I'll start. So I was talking to, uh, I think this is uh, so- Sonia from, uh, I think she's at WhatsApp now. She was at Drift from Aramark at the time. But we had this wonderful clubhouse about this too with a lot of great people. And it, it came down to the fact that, I mean, you, it's great the idea of a media company sounds great, but then you're so top, so, 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 so top of funnel that one, it doesn't have a direct impact on your on your bottom line. And secondly, mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies like take their blog, put it on a different domain, call it something else, and they think they have a media company. When in fact, like I, I, was, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, who was it? Alex Wilhelm from, he's at TechCrunch or CrunchBase now, and he used to work at ModernMark. And ModernMark sort of influenced a lot of my thinking about this. They used to have this wonderful newsletter and I, Danielle, if you listen to this, you know, we talked, I, I talked with the other day, so, uh, uh, they had this wonderful newsletter that was all like, Hey, here's what's happening in tech and VC. And it was fantastic. The problem was the people, people were reading the newsletter, but it wasn't bringing in revenue for the company. Like it was so disconnected from the two. And I think you need to balance, like going back to the time horizon, my, I am a CXA startup. I don't have the luxury to just build an audience for the sake of building an audience i need to get yeah. my buyers in my funnel and you need to that's a very different approach than like i am salesforce and i have a buttload of money and i can do whatever the fuck i want and i'm gonna start salesforce plus a streaming service around i don't care what people buy because everybody knows salesforce you know so there's like a difference and then i think where people go wrong is like and uh, profit world which is one of our customers they actually do this really well and the reason they do this really well is they're their market is very very small like there's only x amount of subscriptions companies in the world so they just want to be top of mind for everybody who's in that space mm-hmm. and they do some direct activation stuff too so it's not just the media stuff right so and my third point on this is in order to do this well you actually have to invest in it as a proper media company and not treat it as like like the objective the business outcomes for a media company like uh uh, digiday or the information is completely different than what a SaaS product is and i think if you combine the two then the, the, like it just doesn't work because the objectives and the outcomes and the mechanics are so different so like if you're going to create a like a media company armed um, you actually have to like invest in it as such and not try and like tie it back to your SaaS product and like try and sell people on like this is what sort of what we're doing with the newsletter is like i'm trying to keep it way separate than the agency business so I'm like, like, I'm like, agency business is here that pays the bills. I'm investing in the newsletter that might turn into its own thing at some point, who knows, but like, we don't plug our agency in that at all. We just like treat it as a separate thing. What's good
2: content marketing. Hey, good content marketing for your audience is, is helping people solve a problem. And then the flip side is I want to get huge brand reach with these that are like not even related to what I'm doing. Um, And I know myself, like I land on some of these, these sites and I'm like, how the heck did you write a blog about this? Like, where's your authority? And you always have in the back of your head, where's the, where's the pitch? Where's the pitch? It's, it's coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah. And like, to be honest, like if you are struggling to meet your quarterly revenue targets, you should be probably focused on bottom of the funnel content to convert, convert people into Mm. buy. You shouldn't be worried about building an audience, but if you're like, if you are past that, then like, I think like the media company play is more of a brand play and then goes back to if you have a longer time horizon, sure, you can, you can afford to build an audience and blah, blah, blah. But if you have a shorter time horizon, focus on what's going to pay the bills right now.
0: What about that that take on on a personal side? Uh maybe we, we can end on this as kind of like your 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 last uh Twitter take, but I know that like your <laughs> your disdain for personal branding and personal branding is very real, right? Like a quick look on LinkedIn and Twitter reveals that like building a personal brand has been dry humped to death. Every influencer is an expert oh, yeah. at self promotion. How do you really feel about personal brand? And like does everyone in marketing need to build a personal brand? Oh my social? god,
1: your custom wisdom don't care about your personal brand unless you're selling to other marketers i think the part of the problem is there's so many more tech companies selling to other marketers that they just like they think it works for everyone and there's also this bit of an echo chamber around it but i think like
0: mm-hmm.
1: i always say hey if i'm selling to i don't know manufacturing they don't care if i'm and like most marketers want to build a personal brand about marketing right so like they talk about marketing but your audience maybe doesn't care because customers don't care about what you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not marketers themselves they don't care like and i think part of the person brand is if you're doing it to like land a next gig sure i don't hold that against you but a lot of it is like th- people don't have experience in marketing they don't know like they don't they haven't done it for long enough to have an opinion and they just like regurgitate a lot of stuff it's like the same thing as twitter threads like oh my god like people will like <laughs> read a wikipedia article into and then like write a twitter about it just to get followers and build up and i'm like what what the fuck man yeah Jesus, fuck. like come on like yeah anyway so like it comes down to like the best marketers i know are not out there writing twitter that tries to build a personal brand they're too busy doing the damn work and they're too mm-hmm. busy doing good work to be building like i think there's a bit of a there's people who work in house and they're like, I don't know, they have too much time on their hands or something, but like they're out there building personal brands and lots these podcasts and like writing Twitter and LinkedIn posts about it. And I'm just like, how do you find the time? And like, what is the eventual outcome? Are you going to sell me a course? Like, what is this? What is the end game here? I think Rand, I
2: saw Rand Fishkin post, oh, this is probably a couple of years ago, but he talked about like uh, all the fortune cookie wisdom out there and I, you know, it's kind of laugh, it kind of, we laugh a little bit about it. Um, but do you think it's damaging the perception of marketers in the space that you have this, you know, race to become a big influencer and, yeah. you know, rocket your career? Do you think it's harmless?
1: I think it's annoying. I think it gives us like, I don't, I think people won't take us seriously if all we do is to cookie cutter wisdom and just like say, oh yeah, personal brand, blah, blah, blah. I did this, it worked really well for me. I'm a marketing guru now but you've only been in the industry for like three years and you're like, you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about. It's a bit of like, not a race to the bottom per se, but like everybody wants to carve out their own little kingdom. And I just like, I'm just so tired of it. I'm like, what what is... No, it's okay if you don't have a person like like my personal brand is probably that i'm a cranky skeptical brown guy who <laughs> likes to shit all other people but that, i'm totally fine with that because that's what that's, like, I'm, that's what i do and like i'm not doing that to get attention it just like i see these people and just annoys me so much and i have to say something it's about like it reminds me of this i think you might have seen this this guy it's WhatsApp guys sold to Facebook and he's like, Oh, I made $22 million, but I know it facing to selling to Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I did. By that. the way, I'm launching this new app. You should download my app. And I'm like, that is <laughs> dangerous and like fake and bullshit. Like, come on, like don't do that shit.
2: Yeah. I, I think on my part, like, I think it's, it's dangerous particularly to the new entrants to marketing, like new mm-hmm. marketing grads, like, we've, I talked to quite a few people like on a mentorship or just a conversation basis. And like one of the most common questions I get in these one-on-ones or these coffee talks is, you know, how important is personal brand? And I see these people again, year, year three in their career and they're, and they're like obsessing about how to get that, that reach and influence when it's like the best marketers on the planet, you'd probably haven't heard about them uh, because they're uh, like you said, they're too busy, too busy, uh, uh, you know, doing the work itself. What advice do you have for folks who are sitting here, you know, year three in their career list podcasting? How do I grow my brand? Like I do want to switch a job down the line or build an agency. Like grind there is an awareness.
1: Grind it out, grind it out, grind it out until you have something to say that's unique and valuable. Mm-hmm. Keep your head down, do the work, do the grind. It's a grind at first, but you'll eventually get there and you know whatever, how many years, but I think like the people like i don't need everybody every other marketer to know about me i just need like some people to know i exist so then like for example my audience is not marketers per se but maybe venture capital firms who might refer me into the portfolio business so like Mm -hmm. there's a way there's a there's a difference and i think part of this speaking of venture capital i think part of this came from the vc industry because a lot of vcs are like active on twitter and social and the reason is like all vcs have money so there's a bit of a branding like they do the branding stuff on their side because they need to attract founders to their fund and take, you know, so, but as marketers, if you're, you're not, you're not always selling to other marketers. So like you're, if you're building a personal brand, what is that doing for your business? Or are you just doing that for your own selfish reasons? Then I don't know. Like, how do you balance? Like, I think if you just like, you don't need to, if you're year three into your business, like go learn from somebody, find a mentor who can teach you stuff, go for a kind of company that you can learn stuff at and like get your hands dirty. And then, don't worry about a personal brand because your reputation will, you know, you good work, people you do good work, people find out about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Totally agree.
0: I love it, Camille. That's great advice. Um, i feel like there, there's probably a bunch of other uh twitter takes uh i'll, I'll link out the your your link to, to twitter <laughs> folks can follow you uh i feel that like your your grumpy uh, skeptical personal brand is uh definitely something <laughs> you didn't like maybe set out to do but uh, i definitely love a lot of your takes and uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe we can end on this question we love asking all our guests you know you've got a lot of stuff going on you're a father a founder a podcaster community moderator you're authoring a newsletter how do you balance everything that you have going on in your life and how do you stay happy and successful uh
1: I don't know if I'm successful but I uh I'm happy because I have two wonderful kids a wonderful wife uh kids you know they're tiring they're exhausting but they're also the best thing you ever do in your life so like at least that's my point of view uh and I think uh also I'm trying to learn how to delegate more I think that's like something I've been struggling with so like the newsletter is Sebastian who's on my team he does a wonderful job at it so like he's running the show on that pretty much on his own I'm just like helping him out when he needs my help and like doing editorial stuff. But like we talk about it, he goes and does, he writes wonderful essays. He runs a lot of that stuff. He's recruiting some guest writers for the newsletter. He's doing a lot of that. My um my focus right now is uh making sure you know the business is healthy we customers are happy and then spending time with my kids which was one of the big reasons I started my business was to have more flexibility on my time but lo and behold when you start your own business you don't have all the flexibility on your time because you're much more busier than you were in house because there's so much shit to do (laughs) but it gives me flexibility that I can take my kids to the park at three in the three on a three on an afternoon on a weekday and like you know not now have somebody breathing down my neck on like why I'm not sitting at my desk on Slack or whatever.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Camille. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to plug our audience?
1: No, I think, uh, if you, if you, <laughs> if you like the hot takes, go subscribe to 42 slash.com. It's our newsletter that Sebastian writes. We, we're trying to be more regular, but I just, I rather say something good than this for the sake of like writing something. So we have some interesting stuff in the pipeline that's going to come out, uh, in the next couple of weeks and uh I need to do my podcast again but yeah just go go subscribe to the newsletter we're starting a new bunch of essays uh, around more technical marketing topics like revops and stuff so I think you'll if you find it interesting go give it a subscribe and yeah find me on Twitter
0: sounds good and uh yeah look forward to uh you reviving those uh, Martech buyers guides uh yes, I'll, uh, I'll keep you that. accountable to that I'll, <laughs> yes. I'll look forward to diving in
1: <laughs> thank you appreciate that
0: all right cheers man thanks a lot
1: Thank you.